Welcome, everybody, to a Monday night edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio on an Easter weekend Monday show. Wait, does that all go together? Yeah, because <laughs> the days all run together at this point, but it is the Monday after Easter weekend. It's also the Monday in which the national championship game takes place in college basketball. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about plenty of other things going on. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and joined off the top. And I don't know that we've had an opportunity to sit down and chat. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. My partner, the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, happy Easter. Hope your weekend was great. Glad to see you and hear from you. I actually got away down to Port A. Got away down to Port A. I'm writing a Robert Earl Keen song as we speak. Uh, I've never been there before. I really enjoyed my weekend down there. And, you know, obviously we did Friday's show, and here we are doing Monday's show. But it feels like it's been a while. Yeah. And I hope everybody had a terrific Easter weekend somehow, some way. And, oh, by the way, Johnny, I know that um, a lot of people are hearing about it. If they're season ticket members, they're getting communication uh, either as of this hour, last hour, but it's right around now about, uh, and I know it's kind of sporadic the way these emails go out, from Cal McNair from the Houston Texans organization. And this is part of regularly scheduled communication that goes out to the season ticket members because when you know there are certain benchmarks in the offseason for season ticket members, uh, a letter goes out and Cal McNair uh, talked about, hey, all the moves that Nick Casario has been making and everything. And, you know, we're looking forward to the season. And also because it would have been odd not to address the Deshaun Watson situation and the legal situation he's in with the lawsuits, the criminal complaint um, to HPD and the league investigation. And he addressed all of that and just wanted to put out there that, hey, the Texans are letting that part of the process play out and also saying that the Texans as an organization, the McNair family, they are so against sexual assault, sexual misconduct of any kind, uh, made it very clear. The team has been very helpful to certain organizations in the city that fight against that and help victims of. Uh, so he wanted to get that out there. The Texans organization wanted to get that out there. And I just wanted to uh, begin the show like that, that we, you know, acknowledge that. And it was really information for the season ticket members, but I know this stuff gets out to everybody, yeah. all Texans fans is one big family. And one thing you stressed there, uh, and I and I will restress it. This is annual communication. This is f- fairly typical communication. This isn't a, a sure. one-off. This is communication that comes from the chairman's office. Comes from Cal and uh, and Janice and um, and Hannah. It comes from them regularly. So season ticket members, you're probably I don't know looking at that email right about now. But just know that that was something, and I know that. That'll be something that gets out there to the interwebs and, oh, look at this. And it'll, I don't want to say it'll be taken out of context, but, oh, they made a special ma- No, this is something that happens on a regular basis. Right. We want to stress that, that this, this would be coming out and it kind of encapsulates at this time of year, it encapsulates everything that's going on. And obviously that's a big matzo ball that you and I have not talked a lot about on the air because it's a legal situation. And what do right. we bring to to the discussion by talking about something that we really, uh, you know, can't, can't talk about. I mean, it's really, you know, nothing we really can talk about other than here's the news and we all know what it is. There are lawsuits. Uh, there was a claim brought uh, late Friday evening at some point. Um, and that's it. That's all we really know. Um, and we're trying to talk football and talk about this team and what it's going to be going forward. Uh, and that obviously Mark, it dawned on me, 
well, it thought on me on April 1st, but it was April 1st. And so you always, I always hate that because <laughs> April 1st, yeah, anything, by the way, how about this? So Michael April Strahan. 1st, I walk out my, I walk out my door. Okay. And all of a sudden I see that we, the Harris family have won the yard of the month in our subdivision. <laughs> no. Yeah, that was not a joke, was it? I, I so I walk out the door, I see the yard of the mud sign, and I just start cackling, laughing. Like I'm walking over to the mailbox, and I just come looking back at it, like, huh? I get out to the mailbox, and there's a little, there's a gift card from Target. They wrote a note saying, "Great job." So I'm like, holy cow! So my wife, she gets up, and I said, "Hey, go walk outside, Paige." And all of a sudden she walks outside at three seconds. I, I just hear this laughing and we're just both like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. We won yard of the month. And we've been doing a lot of work on it because oh. you know, the freeze killed our whole, um, right. you know, flower bed and everything. So we had to go dig all the roots up and all the, everything that was dead. And so we won and it was like, wow, we were so happy that we had won. And then my daughter comes down and she goes, well, you do know it's April 1st, right? <laughs> and I was like, no, don't ruin it, Meg Arter. We won, we won this. And then so we found legit. out we did. It was legit. Okay. But okay. it wasn't because it was truly the art of the month. We basically got miscongeniality that we were the most improved yard because <laughs> we've had some issues in our yard uh, over the last probably, I don't know, eight to nine months. So. Um, it was, uh, it was interesting, but we got that on April 1st. Anyways, my point with April was the fact that we are in draft month. Oh yeah. And I know it's a different time because we don't have a first or we don't have a second round pick. Like I, 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 I get that. And I know people are like, well, you know, and they're, they're down about certain things. And obviously this, this Deshaun situation has been, a weird one for, for all of us uh, involved right. with the Texans that are Texans fans to have to deal with. But we sit there going, all right, we don't have first or second round pick. How do we excited we get about the draft? It doesn't matter. There's going to be somebody coming in this draft that's going to impact this team. I don't know who it is. I don't know what route it's going to be. And I don't know what position it's going to be. But somebody's coming in this draft that's going to make a significant sea change on this football team going forward. And we're going to look back and think, oh, yeah, late April, early May of 2021. That's when we drafted, insert this particular player here. But we're getting ever so close to it. We're 24. We're less than four weeks away, 24 days away from the first round. Now, we don't have a first round pick. We don't have a second round pick. But we got a bunch of one late day two picks and a bunch of day three picks. Mark? I'm not going uh, too far on a limb to say we need to get at least three starters out of this draft at at least three starters out of this draft. When are they starting opening day or halfway through the season, halfway through the season. And I, and I use, I use kind of Justin Reed, DJ reader as my brother because Justin was, I think game three or game four of 2018. So he was earlier. DJ was a little bit later, but as soon as they got in the lineup, you didn't take them out. They were, they were in. And so that's why I kind of look at midseason. That's where the 2021 draft class has got – it's got to make an impact. It's got to. 
You, you I say two or three starters at a minimum. You, you are looking at a major, not major upset here, Johnny, but that is a pretty big number considering you're drafting in rounds three and lower, right? right? Right. And even if you were drafting high, look, the guys you've acquired here, and you've mentioned it at each position group, you know, it's not like, oh, pro bowlers galore available all over the place. Come on in for these one-year deals. It's not like that. But we get a lot of capable players coming into Houston to play for the Texans here. And I think that these lineups are going to be kind of tough to crack. So you're looking at if you want starters who are going to take over midseason, drafted in three and below, they better be. I mean, you're going to have to really hit it big. That's huge for Casario to come up with that. I don't know. I would say the over-under would be one and a half. All right. You know, the boys in Vegas would probably yes. put it right there. And it's funny with the draft, Johnny, with the Texans, because this is the third time in the last four years you have no first-round pick. And it's the second time in the last four years you have no second-round pick either. Right. So we're kind of used to it by now, and I hate to say it like that, but there have been good reasons for this. You know, Laramie is a really good left tackle, and Watson, you got him in 2017 and had to give up the first-round pick in 2018, and you know, the two they gave up in order to move away from Brock Osweiler and the rest of You know the rest of the story. Right. The fans know the rest of the story by now. So we're sort of used to that kind of thing. Uh, it's too bad they can't, you know, move up, but it really is where this franchise is at right now. And that's why Nick Casario is doing what he's doing with over 40 acquisitions, including four trades and you know, just trying to get the team competitive this year, yet also build for the future. It's going to be interesting to watch. I think a, I think a rookie could possibly start on the offensive line at one of the interior positions. Okay. I think a rookie could start at one of the stack linebacker positions, the off the ball position. And I think that one rookie could ultimately start in the secondary. Now, maybe that rookie, maybe it's a nickel, but you know, you know how much, you know how much, a, you know, a nickel, nickel plays. I hope it's a corner. I hope that we're able to find a corner that could come in uh, and be that guy. That might be a little bit later down the road, but that's where I think they can end up finding starters. And the way that I look at this particular draft, I do think that you can find players in even the later rounds that could come on and be starters. Maybe I'm, maybe it's a little bit much to expect three starters, but when we went into that 2018 season, you're thinking about that 2018 team and all the players that were on that team between JJ and Clowney, Whitney, DJ up front. I mean, J. Joe Cream in secondary. I mean, all the players, you know, Honey Badger came in in 2018. All the players we had in that 2018 team, and yet, you had two third-round picks that ended up being starters on that team in Justin Reed and Jordan Akins. Eventually for Jordan, a little bit later. But, you know, two rookies came out of those of the third round and were starters on that team. That was an 11-5 and five team. Yeah. So to me, and that, and that was third round and later. Mm -hmm. I mean, Justin, I think, was pick number 68. We're picking number 67. Right. So from that perspective – I would think there's an opportunity to find two or three guys that can come in. And even if they don't quote unquote start, as I put my hands up in air quotes at all of you can hear, I still think you can find players. And, and the reason I say this, Mark, I went through, I did an exercise. We talked about this a little bit. I did a two round mock draft plus because I did 66 picks. Right. And then I did the first two in the second round 
65, 66 to get us through to 67. So it's a two-round mock, so you get that as a reader. And then I went through each position, and I found the players that remain in the Harris 100. I love that. And I started looking at things at every single position, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, all positions. And there are certain positions that I like players even beyond the Harris 100. I mean, there are, there are a number of players I could see them later rounds that I like. Man, that guy, Cameron Sample, defensive end for out of Tulane. Man, if you found him in the mid to late fourth round, oh, that would be so – I'd be so happy about that. But as I went through that exercise, I realized, okay, they could still – and you, they can get a player at 67 for sure. Beyond that, somebody's going to fall to them. I, I, prom- I mean, Justin Reed fell to them. Mm-hmm. You know, Ross Blacklock last year fell to them. It's going to be a big year for Ross. But somebody's going to fall to him at 67 that I had taken probably in the first 66 picks. But even if you went from pick 67 and beyond in the Harris 100, you're going to be able to find a player. I guarantee you number 67 is going to be a starter for this team. They can find a starter at number 67. And I think any one of those positions that we mentioned, you can find a starter there. So 20 five days from now, because it'll be April 30th when we make our first pick, that one pick that's made on Friday night, the first pick and the only pick of the first two days, that player is going to be a starter for this team. It has to be. It has to be. And, oh, by the way, the class of 2020, I don't want to merge all into 2021. Right. But you you have to go back from that group, starting with Blacklock, going to Grenard, and John Reed, and Coulter, and Andy Heck, out of that group, you got to at least find one or two starters that become permanent starters in their second years. Charlie Heck, you did it again. What did I do? Andy Heck. I call him Andy Heck? Andy Heck. Dang it. That is killing me. The Oakland Raiders and the San Diego Chargers and Andy Heck. I'm just kidding around, Johnny. I can handle it. I I know. I'm sorry. Charlie Heck, you're right. Because I was but, like, did I get that name? Have I no, misremembered right. that name of last year's tackle that actually played pretty well? How about did. Rod Johnson over the weekend? Yep, I saw that, that was report. A, I was like, that's a nice signing right there. Listen, I know people are like, well, you know, you trade for Marcus Cannon. Okay, he's in his, you know, mid-30s. How much longer does he have? Look, you just bring enough good football players in, and you're going to end up figuring it out. You'll figure out what five they are. And that was one thing Marcus told us, which I thought was really interesting. But the Andy Heck, Charlie Heck thing, Mark, this is going to be one of those drafts in which Asante Samuel Jr., that's easy because <laughs> yeah. it's junior. Right. But you have Elijah Molden, who is the son of former NFL cornerback Alex Molden. You've got a lot of sons of players that we covered or I covered a long time ago. And I swear to you, Charlie Heck, Andy Heck will happen to me throughout the draft and will happen with somebody like an Elijah Molden and Alex. <laughs> It'll happen because covering dads now are covering sons. It's making me feel really, really old, but thankfully Asante Samuel jr. Is easy. That's just, he just junior versus senior. I can, I can handle that one. I think you make a good point about last year's class though. Last year's class didn't shine, didn't flash the way you wanted them to. I mean, Charlie Heck had a couple of nice moments there, a couple of nice games, right? That yes. tackle. Yeah. And, you know, you did see some things from Ross Blacklock on occasion. You saw some things from Grenard. 
but in a four and 12 season, you're hoping to see more from these rookies right. last year. So let's see what happens this year because every look, everybody's on notice clearly. I mean, when the yes. team's flipping, McLean wrote 70% roster turnover. I think it's going to be 80, 85 by yeah. the time we kick the ball in September. Agreed. So we'll see. And I do think that, you know, Bill O'Brien always said eight and eight league, which I kind of liked that assessment of the NFL. Cause I, I agree with him. I do think eight and eight is harder than people think. I'm not talking about for this team. I think in general, you know, because if you're eight and eight, you're probably a couple of bounces away from 10 and six. Right. You're also a couple of bounces, maybe away from being six and 10, you know? So he, he had a solid point there that the league is designed to keep everybody together. Now what Casario is trying to do is get it to get it to eight and eight, at least as quickly as possible with the body of the roster, with all these veterans who know how to play, you know? And again, like I said, it's not like I've been to Honolulu five times already. (laughs) I'm coming in to play for the Houston Texans. (laughs) It's not like that necessarily, but again, solid play. Well, Cannon's solid. And um, I actually, I'll give him a plug. I like the piece that Aaron Wilson wrote about Shaq Lawson over the weekend. Yeah. And, and I know we've done stuff on him as well. Look, I think there are a lot of interesting players, it's a get to know, you know, we have this get to know series, meet the Texan. We we're not going to be done with this until next February. Probably. I mean, it's just <laughs> all so the many season. guys. Yes. All the way, all the way to, <laughs> and you know, we are finally getting around to yeah. player X. It's just so many guys to read about, to learn about. It's fun. It is absolutely fun. Also fun is what is taking place tonight in Indianapolis, a place that Mark and I, know very, very well. Unfortunately, the Houston Cougars found out what the early Houston Texans found uh, at Lucas Oil Stadium on Saturday. Ooh, it was ugly. But was Gonzaga-UCLA the greatest sporting event you've seen live or on television live? We'll talk about that next right here on Texans All Access. On Texans All Access. On Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, silent reporter, Joined by the voice of the Texans, formerly the voice of the UMass Minutemen, the Central Michigan Chippewas, and the U, the Miami Hurricanes, Mark Vanderbilt. Now, Mark, I bring that all up because Saturday night, and I watched it on my phone. This is the one thing that is completely different from, you know, when you think about first watching, the first Final Four I can remember watching was in 1981, Indiana, North Carolina. Wow. And that was when Ronald Reagan was shot during the day. And then that night we were watching the game and Indiana was incredible. And my dad was a big, a huge big 10 fan because of living in Wisconsin and wanting Indiana to win that game. They did. That's the first one I remember. And obviously there was no such thing as, well, there wasn't even the internet back then, but I watched the game on my phone on Saturday and it was just, it was mesmerizing Gonzaga and UCLA. And it got me thinking, cause I saw this on Twitter pop up a couple places and I thought it was a pretty good question. My, my friend Sal, who's a silent reporter for Buffalo actually kind of brought this up. He was like, what was the greatest sporting event you've ever been to live And then what's the greatest sporting event you've ever seen live on television? Because a lot of these things, I I know now that we have DVR, I know there have been a lot of times when I've gone out and come back and I decided to watch it on DVR. But this one, I was watching all the way straight through because it was was must-see television 
Jalen Suggs with the three off the glass to win it, 93-90 for Gonzaga. Mark, it was incredible. How would you answer that? Greatest sporting event you've been to and seen live. Greatest sporting event you've seen on television live. Well, I've been lucky enough to call a Final Four game, but I was the voice of UMass, like you said, but we lost to Kentucky. And it's funny because uh, Vanderkid was asking me, asking me about that experience and that Kentucky team in 96. And I said they had uh, they had eight pros. And I looked yeah. it up, and it turns out they had nine pros on that <laughs> Kentucky team. You know, because that uh, Antoine Walker and Rod Mercer and Tony Delk, and the list goes on and on yeah. uh, of players who – at least had a cup of coffee in the NBA on that squad. So, you know, the, the Minuteman had one, that would be yeah. Marcus Camby and lost that game. But the, the vibe, the buzz of that event, Johnny final four, it's really hard to match. Yeah. You know, but that uh, national championship with the hurricanes at the Rose bowl and the Rose yeah. bowl itself is a character in a game. You know, I yeah. know you've seen it and it's just, it, there's just something about that place and to be the first teams in there or the first team uh, to, to be able to win there, the first game that was a non-Pac-10, yeah. uh, Big Ten game forever, you know, back way decades and decades ago, it didn't have that alliance, right, between the Pac-10 and the Big Ten. But we were the first one in a long time. And to be able to win there was huge. Uh, on TV, but those two stand out to me, you know, yeah. College World Series as well, being able to oh, be at Rosenblatt yeah. Stadium, the old place. Yeah. Uh, really special place to be, call a game, be in Omaha for a week. Just the whole event of it yeah. is really hard to beat. Uh, you know, I'm not huge on college baseball. I really like it. I did it for three different uh, schools. Um, but, you know, like, I, I'm not just blowing smoke here. Johnny, you know, we go to all these NFL games and yeah. – there's just something about every Sunday. They're all yeah. good. <laughs> they're, I mean, yeah. the hype, the buildup, they're all great. I always say it. It's the NCAA tournament every Sunday. It feels like it because you know you're part of the league is going on. Yeah. And, you know, we're playing. And are we leading? Are we trailing? What's going on there in Jacksonville? What's going on there in Foxborough? What's going on there in Green Bay? It, there's just something about it. It's their day. They just dominate everything. The ratings smash everything. everything. I didn't even see what it was the other night. I can tell you that Sunday night football NBC crushes that. I mean, maybe I should fact check that. But I really feel <laughs> like it, it will. You're probably right. Um, you know, and I don't know what uh, what tonight's going to do. Ultimately, these are two really good teams going at it. Uh, but uh, quickly on TV, I would say the most memorable for me, you know, that you know, because I, I call all the games for the, the teams I've worked for, but San Diego, Miami, 41, 38 overtime yeah. in the divisional round in 1981 was just unbelievable. Dan Fouts and Don Straw coming off the bench and, you know, 24, nothing lead and the Chargers fall behind and Kellen Winslow carried off the field. Watching that one live was really special. Uh, everyone's seen the NFL film stuff on it. And on the radio, and I've told you this before, Hail Flutie, I heard it on the yeah. radio live because I was dropping my sister off the train station. It was the day after Thanksgiving and she was visiting Boston and, and I was driving back and I'm a BU guy, but I rooted for BC in football because we never played him. And Flutie uh, hits Gerald Phelan on the, uh, or Gerard or Gerard Phelan, Gerard Phelan on the, uh, on the hail Flutie. And I heard the call on the air and I loved it. And it was great. So that's me. That's me. You, you and I have a very similar story, but a different Boston college game. In 93, 
when you ask Boston College fans, like, hey, what are your two greatest wins? They look at you and go, hey, come on, you're not, you're not from Boston, are you? Because we, we know the two. It's 84, Flutie, and then it's 93 with David right. Gordon. Um, it was my last college football game. And my uh, girlfriend at the time had gotten tickets for uh, Bruins Flyers that night. And so we had the game, we got in the car, we get in the car, and I immediately turn on like the sports station. And these Boston announcers are just, I, I loved listening to them. They were just awesome. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on because there's no cell phones. There's no, right. there's nothing going on. What's the it's score? Almost, it's at that point, it's 37 32. I think I was right. No, it's 38 32. And Notre Dame is driving. And Notre Dame goes down and scores and goes up 39 37. And the, we're driving into the Boston. We're driving into the Boston guard, the old the old guard. And so we're driving down, and we get like 15 minutes out. And Boston College nearly throws an interception. And then a couple plays later, uh, Glenn Foley make uh, completes a pass. They kick a 41 yard field goal. The place goes. I mean, they, we just start screaming in the car. Just two of us, just screaming in the car. We get to the garden. There's nobody in their seats. Nobody. It was weird. Like. Why, are, why is there nobody in the seats? I go to the bathroom, and the bathroom was packed. And some guy just screams, hey, I didn't see you in a BC game. What happened? And, I mean, the bathroom erupted. We get to the second period, and they announce the score in the garden. And the place goes absolutely crazy. But, Mark, the one – there are two that stand out – actually, three stand out. I was at the Chris Weber timeout game in New Orleans, that Final Four championship game. And the weird thing about it was, is nobody in the building had any idea why uh. the game had gotten stopped. And so same friend was with me and she was like, why, what's going on? I'm like, I, I don't know. I just see Eric Montrose jumping around and North Carolina fans are getting excited, but had no idea why, like what it was. We didn't know until right. way later that night watching on Sports Center that there was a technical foul because Weber had called time. We had no idea. Um, and that so earlier that year, we had gone to see Alabama and Miami one versus two. Miami was one. Alabama was two. And I'd never been to an SEC game before. And we got to the dome and Alabama fans were on one, man. Oh, my. I'd never seen anything like it. And my dad and I are just looking around like, oh, my God, the building was like 80 percent Alabama. And they upset Miami that night. And it was it was a it was a madhouse the entire time. It was unbelievable. And the other one I would say was I saw one v two Florida Florida State in Tallahassee when Danny Werfel won the Heisman that year, and they beat the ever loving bejesus out of him. I have never seen in my life a quarterback take a beating like Werfel took, and oh. he almost and he almost led them back. And Florida State ended up winning that. Florida won the the rematch for the championship, but. That was unbelievable. When Osceola, now you've you've done this, you've been yeah. there for this. That is one of the great traditions. When do they he still comes do out, it, Johnny, Ooh, I, don't, I think so. I think is they it do. A little too from one. Now it's I thought a, they had a really good relationship with the Seminole tribe. They do. they do, and they they actually get everything approved and make it yeah. as authentic as possible. So in this one, when he when they were Florida State was still on the field. Typically, they were in the locker room. He comes out gets off the horse and just shows his spirit. And I mean, a place is packed. I've never seen Bill Campbell like this. 
and he goes to midfield and he reaches back and sticks that thing in the ground. And when they, when you've ever seen it, when he puts it in the ground, you'll just hear this crowd go, whoo. And I mean, the players went nuts. They were dancing around it. And the Florida players were like, the coaches were like hoarding the Florida players in the locker room. And I was like, it's over already. Florida State's it's over got already. Yeah. It's over That's, already. They listen, have. I've been on the wrong. Oh. I've been on the wrong end of a of a game there, and um, and I've also been part in 0-1. The Canes beat them there, but when when Florida State, when when Chief Osceola and Renegade take the field, burning oh. spear, and it goes into the ground midfield, you could the hair is standing up on the back of your neck. That is one of the great traditions of college football. And gosh, we got to fact check this. Are they still doing that? The other one is the Penn State drum major doing the flip, uh, running out. And this is all over YouTube. They run out uh, between the band members and then get to midfield and do a complete flip in midair with the big hat on. So it's like you got to clear (laughs) some things here. And that is another one. Hair standing up, back of your neck, like, let's go. Let's play. Uh, And those those are great moments right there. And uh, so you were at that one, Florida State. Florida State, Florida. Florida. The best one I've ever seen live. And my dad was worse than I am with the remote. He was the worst than me because he could not stand. He couldn't stand commercials. He's always changing it during commercial. I get mad at him because I'm like, come on, man. We're going to miss the – we're going to miss, you know, coming back from the commercial. So I was home spring break 1992. And I was at home. And the next day, my friends were coming down. We were going to go to Padre. Couple guys from Ohio, one from New York, who coming down, going to Padre, and so it was that Sunday. Sun, yeah, I think it was Sunday. No, it was that Saturday. And my dad turned on Duke, Kentucky, and I've never seen him turn on a show and leave it. And he left it for two and a half hours straight because we picked it up like early in the game, and he left it all the way through. Didn't change it once. And all three of us, my dad, my mom, and me just sat there and watched it and didn't move for two and a half hours. Duke, Kentucky, that, 92. That was Leitner? That was Leitner. That was Leitner. That was incredible. I mean, my mom, after it was over, my mom was like, that was really good. And then she went, she ran that off into really the kitchen after all Listen, that. this it was. That was incredible. This was really good on Saturday night. There was no question about that. But I think Twitter, there's this overreaction, and it might be the best thing people have ever seen. But, like, you know, we just had Villanova beating North Carolina yeah. with a tremendous shot at the buzzer yeah. to win the championship. What about Chalmers, right, for Kansas? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, over Memphis. And I was yeah. watching that with great interest because of Calipari at the time, coaching yeah. Memphis. And, you know, we've had a lot of them in the tournament. Now, this was unbelievable because it's back and forth. And the other thing I love is this, Johnny. UCLA almost beat Goliath. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I just have a hard time. That's People are so young. Like, do you understand what UCLA yeah. is to this sport? Like, yes. are you vaguely familiar? I get it. They haven't been that for a long time. But even in the mid-90s, they won with Jim Herrick, head yeah. coach. And, you know, it'd be like with the Hurricanes. You know, if they did something now, they'd be like, oh, the little old University of Miami school upsetting the big boys. And I get it that it kind of feels that way now. But yeah. It, it doesn't work for brand name recognition based on history. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it's like, you know, Great Britain, when they win a war now, it's like, hey, <laughs> you beat the Falkland Islands. Good job. <laughs> you know, when they used to dominate the world. I don't know. I'll give you another one that I remember watching. And I want to make sure I get the get the year. I think it was ninety nine. I think it was the first of the Tiger Slam. When Tiger was basically going toe to toe with this guy named 
I think his name was Bob Day. He was just some, you know, he was ranked in the hundreds. And he, this guy's making shots left and right. And Tiger's having to now make shots to beat him. And they ended up going into some extra holes. And Tiger ended up beating I think it was a three-hole playoff. And Tiger ended up beating him by a shot. I think it was Bob Day was his name. And it was the proverbial, you know, tin cup, you know, this guy out yeah. in Salome, Texas, basically, uh-huh. <laughs> and had done nothing. And all of a sudden on that day, he caught fire. And the back nine of those two going at one another was unbelievable. And, and golf can have that where it just kind of grabs you when it's the, yep. it's the right guy. And Tiger was the right guy for that time. I remember that. Oh, that was such a great, I think it was Bob day. Now I'm about to look it up during the break, but, um, but yeah, Saturday's game was unbelievable. 93, 90. And Oh, by the way, Jalen Suggs, who knocked that shot home was Mr. Football in Minnesota. Isn't that incredible? In 2019. How about that? And about Mr. That? Basketball, right? Wasn't yes, he, both? he was both. He was both. He was Mr. That's Football ridiculous. and Mr. Basketball. You shouldn't be that talented and a great dude from what it sounds like. I'm going to go make my kid shoot some hoops right now. Yes. Right now. That's what you need to do. Mark, thank you very much. Thanks, Johnny. All right, we get back. We will go around the NFL right here with a big trade. The Jets and the Panthers. Sam Darnold's a Panther. What's that mean? We'll do that next right here at Texas Law Access. Law Access. Law Access. One final segment this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio on this wonderful Monday evening. few clouds in the sky, but just a really nice breeze and wonderful to be outside. Hopefully you're enjoying this episode of Texans All Access out by the pool, just sitting outside. Maybe you're grilling up pork chops or maybe you got a brisket going on, unlike Lincoln Riley's dry brisket uh, that he put a picture of. And I'm telling you right now. Twitter's a pretty rough place, but you get your brisket way too dry, and it is on like Donkey Kong. I got a friend of mine here in the city, you all know, Lance Irline, posted a picture of his brisket. He has not lived it down for years. Lincoln Riley will never live that down. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go find Lincoln Riley's Twitter feed. He posted a picture of brisket, and it sent the Twitterverse into uh, it sent it into a tizzy. All right, let's go on the NFL. I got a couple of things that... One very, very, very funny that came out of Jeopardy today, believe it or not. One that came out of reality, I guess. The New York Jets drafted Sam Darnold, the number three overall pick in the 2018 draft. Many thought that would be a spot where Baker Mayfield was going to go, that Darnold would go number one. Baker would end up going number three. Well, it was the other way around. Baker ended up going to the Cleveland Browns, number one. Darnold went number three. We saw Darnold as a rookie in 2018, late in the season. And he was magnificent against us in that game. And I thought, boy, this guy is going to be very, very good. They never, in New York, put the pieces around him. And after 2018, when Todd Bowles was let go as head coach, they brought in Adam Gase. It was the worst thing that could happen to Sam Darnold. Today might be one of the better things to happen to Sam in that he got traded to the Carolina Panthers. When you hear what the Panthers gave up, you go, hmm, that's not, it's not a lot, really. Darnold traded from the Jets to the Panthers in exchange for overall pick number 226, 226 in this draft. That's a six-rounder, plus 
second and fourth round picks next year. So if the Jets still stink, they oh I'm sorry, if the if the Panthers stink, well the Jets are getting a top 40 pick. I think the Panthers are picking, I think it's 40 maybe, 41 somewhere in there. This year, I would imagine with Donald they might be a little bit better, but who's to say? But the Jets are getting back a sixth from this year and a second and fourth next year. That gives the Jets now, my math is correct, two ones next year and three twos, I think. It's something of that magnitude. But Joe Douglas doing a great job to get something for Sam Darnold. And I say something, I mean, they got a sixth, second, two, and a fourth. And I know the second and fourth are next year. You won't reap the benefits of that. But Sam Darnold gets an opportunity to restart his career in Carolina. Carolina's looking for a quarterback. That obviously was one of the teams that had, was often mentioned um, if Deshaun Watson were to have been traded. So the Panthers went and pulled the trigger on the Sam Darnold deal. What does it mean for the Jets? Well, they're sitting there at number two. They've got their choice of every player in the draft, not named Trevor Lawrence. So is the flavor of the month in the Jets world Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance? I guess you got to ask Mac Jones. We know the Niners moved up to number three. Who do they have an eye on? I know what this tells us, at least from a draft perspective. Quarterbacks will go one, two, three. Now, I've said the two mocks that I have done, and to reiterate, I did a mock uh, a while back. I had three trades at two, three, and four. This is even before San Francisco's trade. I had three trades. Now, not I don't think one of them was San Francisco, but I had three trades. I think one was Denver, one was San Francisco, one was New England to get to one, two, three, four all quarterbacks. This most recent mock, I didn't have to do that because I put Zach Wilson to the Jets. I put Trey Lance to the 49ers. And then the fourth pick was Atlanta trading out, trading to Chicago Bears. I believe it's the Bears. Uh, and the Bears giving up a boatload to move up 16 picks to get the quarterback, Justin Fields, who at that point, I know a lot of people say, back Joe, no, 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 no. I had Mac Jones to go number eight to Carolina. That doesn't need to happen. Carolina cannot focus on adding another piece. Maybe it's a tackle. Panay Sewell uh, would help that offensive line. There's no question there. Uh, defensively, Mika Parsons stepping into that spot. Luke Keekley, uh, once man for this Panthers defense, uh, would be a, a fantastic fit in Matt Rule's defense. Matt Rule also a Penn State grad. So maybe that's a Mika Parsons spot now. It won't be a quarterback spot, I would imagine. For the Carolina Panthers, as unless one of those quarterbacks they really like falls them at number eight, and I'm not totally sure I see that happening because four of them will be gone by the top four. That's been my prediction all along. Quarterbacks top four. Who this could be in what order? I know Trevor Lawrence going to the Jags. I imagine Zach Wilson's going to the Jets. Three has been the most oft talked about spot because the 49ers trade up. Do they trade up? There's been a lot of smoke around Matt Jones. I don't think you trade up nine spots and give up what the Niners gave up to go get Matt Jones. I think you could have stayed at 12 and gotten in the vicinity of Matt Jones. I think you trade up for a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance. More upside, higher ceiling. That's who you trade up for. That's what I think they're going to do. I do think Matt doesn't 
I think Matt conceivably could stay in the top 10. Maybe he ends up in Denver uh, at number nine. Maybe that's an opportunity for him. I just don't think Matt Jones is going number three. Um, and keep an eye on the New England Patriots moving around to do some different things. But Carolina, Sam Darnold, that marriage will begin in 2021. And we will see Sam Darnold. Well, we're going to see him anyways because he's with the Jets. We would have seen him then because we're playing them. And then we are playing the Carolina Panthers at home. That was the ninth regular season home game we picked up when the league went to 17 games. All right, we're going to finish with a pretty funny moment. Aaron Rodgers, the future Hall of Fame quarterback, MVP quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, is hosting Jeopardy for the next couple of weeks. And they got to final Jeopardy. And I don't know what the question was. But Aaron Rodgers went to the first contestant, whose name was Scott, and he asked for the answer to the question, which obviously has to be posed as a question. Here's what Scott did. Scott, did you come up with the correct response? Who wanted to kick that field goal? That is a great question. Should be should be correct, but uh, unfortunately for this uh, this game today, that's incorrect, and you're going to lose zero. Obviously, Scott lost zero dollars. He didn't know the answer to that one, and he didn't bid anything. And I'm sure that he won. But that was the ultimate troll, <laughs> Rogers. That was the best. I don't know if Scott's a fan of some other team, but he got one over on good old number twelve, and he's referring to the field goal the Packers kicked. Late in the NFC Championship game, and they never got the ball back, ended up losing 31-26. So that's what it is in reference to. So there you go. All right, it's a great show. Appreciate everybody for being here. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Joanna, back in the studio. You guys for listening. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And as always, go Texans.